This episode is sponsored by Exponentially. Supercharge your innovation process and get certified as a world-class prototyper with the official Learn Prototyping online course. Sign up using the code OG100 for $100 off. You can learn from Exponentially CEO and master prototyper Leslie Berry and develop your own prototype with personal feedback from Leslie. You'll also gain access to the Exponentially app, an enterprise-level tool to help you keep track of your prototypes, and join an exclusive Slack community of certified prototypers. Sign up today at www.exponentially.com forward slash learn dash prototyping and use the code OG100 for $100 off. Welcome to the official Prototyping Podcast with your hosts, Jonathan Sun and Robert Scrove. How's it going today, listeners? So today, we're going to get into some of our own updates in our personal prototyping world before sharing some popular questions within the Slack community and answering them on air. So to kick it off, Robert, what's your prototype of this month? So this is the month of March and getting into the new one. I think the prototype that I'm literally doing is a, a clubhouse conference. Now, I wouldn't say I've made an XYZ hypothesis yet, but I'm actually formulating what it could be. And then the idea later on is how successful can it be is where I'll take the XYZ hypothesis. So in a nutshell, the Clubhouse conference that we're doing is called Voices of Clubhouse. And literally, it's a 24-hour event that's going to be happening, looks like on May 22nd, where we're inviting a lot of people that we know in our networks to come join and host a particular room at a particular time. Depending on where they are in their time zone, they would host the room, go through the motions of asking questions to guest hosts, or just doing a simple Q&A on the topics that they care about the most. The idea being is that this would provide the blueprint for future events, but the XYZ that would be corresponding to this is that, let's say 10% of all clubhouse attendees would eventually visit a clubhouse room or something to that effect. I haven't worked it out, but I have to kind of look at the, the metrics and what would be reasonable to do. But the idea is, is that we're creating a sort of conference metaphor around the Clubhouse app and using that to bring people together that have a common interest in a topic. So that's, that would be probably my yet slightly undefined um, uh, prototype that I'm going to be launching this month. That sounds awesome. And, um, and it's funny that you mentioned that because the prototype that I've been running uh, this month is also related to Clubhouse, but it relates to more of a Clubhouse format change. So basically, um, I, run a, I, run a, um, I run a Monday night show in, uh, in, in GMT called Odin Talks, where basically um, in the past, what I did was I used it as kind of like a pitch session, uh, me and one of the co-founders of Odin. And uh, we use this kind of like an opportunity to get people to pitch their startups and kind of like the startups that we really liked, we were going to post now do a flow. Slowly the attendance started dwindling. So we thought to ourselves, we need a big change. So I kind of tested out a prototype, which was if I changed the format from a pitch session to interviews with founders, my engagement rate would go up 20 to 30%. And my engagement rate went up way more than 20 or 30%. It went up by four or 500%. Whereas in the past, I would only have five people, uh, five people watching my room. Uh, nowadays, I consistently get about 25 or 30. Um, so um, to me, that prototype was a smashing success. Very cool. 
So um, now that we've kind of gone into the prototypes we've both done, are we off to Q&A and kind of covering some of the things we've been seeing in the Slack room? Yep, let's do it. So why don't you start with the first one? I think it's like how to prototype a really expensive and hard to build business idea. Yeah, so I think when it comes to prototyping, I think my default my default methods that I use if I don't know how to like, for example, like manually try to carry it out is using like either um, the fake door landing page or even trying to do the video method, the YouTube prototype where it's like you do like kind of like an animated video off of like Puntoon or something like that and just showcasing what it's like followed by an email signup. Um, now, somebody in our community uh, was really, really creative and suggested that uh, that you can actually get skin in the game by getting somebody to go to a two-hour intro session on that um, hyper, you know, expensive or hard-to-build business idea. And the idea behind that is that nothing kills ideas more than like having to go to a meeting unless they really, really want it, which is really, really interesting to me. Um, what do you think of that phenomenon? I don't think I'm in agreement with that because one of the things that you're trying to do is create the kind of environment that would encourage engagement. And I think that the word meeting is something that everyone connotates to uh, a forced kind of engagement. I wouldn't go that route personally. I would probably find another avenue, but I can see the logic behind the rationale. Yeah, I guess so. I think in the end of the day, um, a landing page and a video um, there's no, there's no failing with like a landing page or a video. These are like the two easiest prototypes that one can run. Um, now, Robert, I'm curious, uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on using uh, Facebook ads for prototyping? I think for people that are first starting out, they should stay away from ads altogether. I am exploring the option of interviewing the target audience, one person from your target audience that's in your network, interviewing them on what you're doing and not seeking opinion, but seeing if they understand at face value, what you're offering, what it is, fact-based kind of interview, and then asking for money right then and there. Your influence may tip the scales in terms of them purchasing something, but I would argue that they're still going to evaluate the what you're going giving them and potentially either buying it or not buying it. If you take the percentages of the success of most prototypes being less than 10%, there's a good chance that no one you meet is going, to, or no one you, that you talk to that's in your network that, that you think is in your target audience is going to buy it. However, the one thing you will get that you won't get anywhere else is the, what would you buy instead for this? Would you buy anything? And keep it as fact-based as you can without opinion. And I think that's where most people need to start because I see a lot of people struggle and I've seen this in the global virtual design sprint with setting up ads on different platforms with understanding the analytics involved with the amount of work that needs to happen to create something that's somewhat believable in that space and get the right people that you need to get. Facebook groups tend to be very closed so they don't allow in-person advertising if they don't know who you are, even if you're offering something free. So I'm working on an article that's going to explain how to do that, given my background in user research. And I think there's validity in bucking the trend of trying to go with the quant always and trying to get just nothing but data feeds and going after the qual 
but making sure that you stay away from opinion-based answers and go after fact-based, do you understand what is being presented to you? And is this something you will purchase right now or that you will sign up for or whatever it is? And making sure that you stay pretty rigid in that regard because people will always want to relate or fall back into it. That's at least my point of view. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I think it works sometimes. Um, kind of depends because I think, you know, too many people think of like Facebook ads as like sort of like a spray and pray type of strategy. I think um, if you use Facebook ads in the sense that like you use it to like really, really narrow exactly the types of people that would like use your potential product or service, then, um, then I guess it would be somewhat effective. But I do think that like probably the best way to figure out at least if you're going online to you know try to figure out whether or not you should validate uh valid validate your product or service idea is that you should try to find like a curated group of people that would that that are like within your target market so say for example if you're trying to pre if you're trying to prototype like this a brand new uh child care service idea what you want to do is like rather than like you know, try to run like Facebook ads on like, you know, just like everybody that's like age 35 and up, what you should do is like go on Facebook or like Mighty Networks and to just try to find groups of parents that, you know, try to talk to each other, parents of like, you know, under fives, and then try to see what kind of engagement you get on, um, on your proposed innovative childcare service and see how much skin in the game you get on that. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Cool. So, um, so the next question is, um, in, the, in, in a fake door prototype, how do you know why people didn't interact so that you know what to change? I don't know if the why is the right question because you're not gonna know the why. The why is usually qualitative, but you're, with a fake door, you're really just either doing a positive or a negative, like either a, an engagement or a non-engagement unless you're actually asking for the information during the, the acquisition or the engagement process, you aren't going to know. You're just gonna really have to fall back onto your assumptions on why you thought it was going to work and not work, and then keep that focus there. Because ultimately it's gonna be your assumptions that are going to lead you in certain directions. So if there's data to suggest that some assumptions were invalid versus ones that were validated, that's basically what you can build on. Unless And so, again, unless you're providing those mechanisms to capture that qualitative data from users, I don't think you can really know why. For me, I think it depends where you ran your experiment, right? Because I think that, like, if you ran your experiment within a community where you knew one or two people, for example, I think, like, a way that you can figure out why people didn't, inter it didn't interact with um, either your website or, like, you know, your... Um, your what's it called um your morsel book or like any sort of other prototype like that um i think a good way is just to like after a few days of them of them like you know having had a chance to look through the prototype you can go ahead and dm them and ask them okay like hey like what did you what did you think of you know this and this and this and then more times or not you know depending on like you know how much you trust them they'll generally give you like an honest answer something along the lines of like you know like the, the product or service didn't really look that appealing to me, right? You press them on the question and then it's either, you know, there's big problems with the product or service 
uh, service idea, in which case you go back and you know you try to come up with something else, or maybe you just designed it poorly. So in, in which case you go and try to fix up some design elements, such as you know cut out some text, put some more uh, visualization, um, little things like that. So I mean, I th I think sometimes your prototype doesn't always go the way you expect it. Sometimes not always because you're, you don't have a product or service that's not in demand, but because you didn't present it in a certain way. The problem I have with that is, is that you have to actually get more than three or four or five people to start saying the same thing before you start seeing a trend. Even if there's a high level of trust with your target audience and the person you're talking to, and they tell you their opinion about why they did or did not engage, it is, it's isolated and you're still getting an opinion. So what the, the, the danger in that is, is that as the organizer or the prototype, if you really trust this person, you may go completely 100% in, in with what they're talking about and they may be flat out wrong. It's just their impression of what they think is right and not right about your prototype. If you really do want to harness opinion, the best way to do it is to ask multiple people who have, have gotten an impression of what you're doing and seeing if there's a pattern if multiple people say your front page is using bright red text that blinks that, that that turns me off that's probably going to give you a clue as to probably going in a different direction with the graphics if the copy is confusing because you're using too much acronyms if you only hear it from one person out of five maybe it's not that confusing for your target audience but if you talk to that one person first and say i have no idea what acym means and you take that as gospel you may be kind of pigeonholing yourself into a, a rewrite or a reconsideration that actually encourages you to, well, will we'll kind of get you in a position where you have to experiment even more than you necessarily need to. So I, I'll, re, I'll revisit the earlier question in that I think asking why is a pitfall, it's a trap. You really, all you're doing is you want to give, understand the experience post pre and post acquisition, especially if they buy. I think it's more valuable to ask why after they've done the transaction. It's still gonna be an opinion. It still probably won't have as much weight as you want, but the why, answering the why after the post will basically speak to your assumptions more about why you do, what you had in the prototype and if they're validated or invalidated. That's where I think it's more valuable, but not before, especially if they don't engage. That's just how I see it. Yeah, I think I definitely agree on like the after part. And uh, I probably should have been a little bit more clear while I was like explaining. But like, I also do agree, I think that, you know, that you do want to try to ask more than one person to try to get get like an overall answer trend, rather than like, you know, isolate like a single person's answer, right? Because I think that like, there is, I do agree with the with the notion that like, sometimes there is a lot of danger, you know, with um, with single people's answers, right? Um, like sometimes you have your occasional, uh, you have your occasional contrarians that you know you got you got major you got a lot of people saying the same thing. You got this like one guy that's like you know for whatever reason he like he or she thinks like really really differently. So like, um, I definitely agree with you on the getting getting multiple people's like um, getting multiple people's feedback. I should say um, rather than sticking to one person. Um, so Jonathan, what do you think is the average amount of time needed to run a product prototype? Um, I think, uh, well, it really depends on the prototype. Um, I think, um, 
the way I the way I usually do it is uh to the way I think of you know the amount of time to run a prototype is you should do it you should you should run them as fast as you can without compromising I think the general integrity of like what you want your product or service idea to be right and and we kind of like I think allude to this a little bit in our previous podcast about just kind of like um you know, straddling, I think, you know, trying to find that balance between like believability and uh, believability and, uh, and roughness. Um, so I think, for example, like if you're, if you run, if you're trying to create a prototype for a bookshop, right. Um, then basically, you know, what's like, what's, what's the, what's the process of prototyping a bookshop, right. You, you get a big cardboard, you can cut out a, you can cut out, um, you can cut out a door and then, you know, um, and then, you know, draw a window and, you know, kind of like pretend that this is like a, a bookshop of some sort. And then, you know, kind of like pretend that the, um, and then, you know, you have a, you have a table outside of like, kind of like a fake store frame and you, you invite people to, you know, come give their email addresses for like, you know, when this book, this hypothetical bookstore will open. In this case, I would imagine that to construct the, the con- construct the cardboard frame should probably take you one to two hours. And then in terms of how, how much you should probably, you know, sit outside, you should probably pick a, a fairly busy day. And then you should probably do that about, you should probably do it around, you say each, each round of the experiment lasts one day, you should probably do it for about five days with you know one day spaced out in between so it doesn't look uh, so it doesn't look like, so people don't really catch on to the pattern and then you pick a different spot on the high street every time and then that um and then so that if you add it all together it amounts to about 10 days for five experiments um and so that's like one example i would give but for a landing page i mean i think say for example, you use card.co and then you can build that out in 30 minutes to an hour. And then you post it in three or four different groups and you use those as like different uh, kind of like exper- uh, different rounds of experiments. Then you should be able to get uh, results of your rounds of experiments within like one to two days. Um, so that's kind of like what I, th- my opinion on like, um, how much time is needed to run a prototype, but what are your thoughts? When I originally asked this question to Alberto Savoia, he interpreted it as duration, meaning that the amount of time a prototype has to sit in the market to basically get some data. Um, his answer was is that if you have a big enough sample, it can be a few hours. So when he, he mentioned the early days of Google, of Google where he used to run 1% experiments or experiments on 1% of their users and collect conclusive data from 10,000 users in hours so that they had a large sample size to make a judgment call or an evaluation. For someone that's just starting with prototyping or doing it themselves, it could be a lot longer because your sample size is gonna be a lot fewer. So I would say Echo is thought that the duration would probably be contingent on the type of prototype you do. Uh, But I would think that if you find the right audience and you have enough bandwidth, meaning that you have enough people that are paying attention to it, your sample size and the, to get the percentage you're looking for that's meaningful, it's probably self-defined, I would say. It, it depends on the pretotyper. It depends on who you are, what's going to be enough false, uh, false to positive ratios for you. Like it would be a hundred people that have an impression of what you did. Would it be a thousand people? Where do you draw the line? And do you, do you, 
do you draw the line at time? Like you just give it 48 hours, no matter what the numbers are, you basically make those, those calls, those judgment calls. Um, I usually default to 48 hours because it would speak not only to the execution of the prototype, but whether or not you're targeting properly, especially if your numbers are low so that you don't have to wait a whole week to get to the, the, get the 10 number, you know, right off the bat, if you're in the right space in stock trading, there's, there's a analogy around volume where the more volume an, a stock has like an index or something else, the more it's going to move, which is more advantageous for the stock trader because they live and thrive on the stock price going up and down to make a profit. And it's just probably the same thing with prototyping in that you need a healthy amount of bandwidth and enough movement, whether positive or negative, to understand whether your prototype has value to your end customer. So to Alberto's point, it's a, it's a bit of a general question, but it's if you're really looking at a certain number of people to engage your prototype, you have to make sure you're in the right space and you have enough volume, meaning you have enough uh, people that are coming through the pipeline to take a first impression judgment call at what you're putting in front of them to say, okay, I'm going to engage this or I'm going to move on and try something else. Yeah. And I think Alberto gave a really, really good answer, right? It all depends on, it all depends on the type of project that you're running. Um, but obviously, you know, trying to, uh, you try to, you try to the best of your ability, um, run them, run them as enough of a duration that, um, enough of a duration that you can get the quality data that you need, but at the same time, duration not so long as to kind of like um, put yourself in a position where you don't run as many experiments as you should be running. Um, now, with that being said, I'm kind of curious. Um, do you think that you should jump to pricing directly when running prototype experiments to get skin in the game, or should you test for email address sign up and gradually progress to pricing? Depends on the person who's doing the experiments. Some people feel uh, don't feel morally comfortable with asking for pricing, with asking for a price on something that doesn't exist. Others are, are feel that a lower skin in the game of just getting somebody's email address is enough to send a signal that there could be interest there. So I think I think it really depends on the prototyper and the disposition of that person in terms of testing the markets. I will say that for people that experiment regularly, people that in marketing agencies, people in tech have no qualms with doing this, um, especially if it involves free samples of product or it's uh, being in a beta group to basically test out new products, but you have to pay. Um, they go strictly by the numbers and don't have much emotion that goes into it. At least that's what I'm learning by being on a clubhouse all this time is that they look at it as very black and white. So I would, my answer would be is that it really depends on the person. It's interesting because I remember um, in, in the early days of my startup journey, I remember um, going to like a startup round table where like uh, basically like one of the most, this was back when I was a student at the University of Washington and uh, one of the most prominent kind of like startup ecosystem builders uh, in the region who, who also doubled as an angel investor as well. Um, basically just sat around and gave us advice on like all the questions that we had. One of them was, uh, was ironically this, right? How much traction do you need to prove that you're, uh, how much traction do you need to prove that, you know, that your product is worth building? His answer was a hundred paying customers. And, uh, and I think when he first said that, I was like, my, I, I was like, I think my mind was blown and I was puzzled because I was just like, geez, how, how on earth am I going to get a hundred paying customers for something that doesn't exist? And then his rationale was, 
if you could, if, if your, if your value proposition is so compelling, you should be able to get a hundred paying customers at whatever price you set. No problem. Um, which was, I think it was a hot take at that time, but I think the more I'm more over it, it makes sense. And then like, there's an enhanced, you know, the reason why less than 10% of, of business ideas actually turn out to become a successful product. I think in order to meet that hundred sale uh, marker, you need to have a wealth of experience behind you. Somebody who is a college graduate and trying to get a hundred, hundred sales of something really has to find the gold nugget at the bottom of the well, like basically digging to the extreme degree to find something. So you have, they have to put in a ton of work to get to that point. The silver bullet rarely exists. If it does, it's usually because they're leveraging the knowledge and expertise or the position of somebody else who's already done the work for them. So I push back on that notion a little bit of 100, 100 sales because you probably won't get that kind of that kind of result unless you're very aware of what the trends are, what industries are very hot, how you're networked with other people that know how to execute and what your own experience, body of experience is like. There's a lot of factors that go into that end result of just a hundred sales. So it's a loaded answer because it makes it seem like you just need to find that one thing that will get you across that hundred sale threshold. Because in quite, in all honesty, if somebody gets to that point and they're not experienced in how to handle it, it won't matter if they get to that point. I think so. I think so. I mean, I think, I think, I think you're right. Right. It kind of depends. Like it kind of depends what skin in the game that you're, you're, you're targeting and like what you personally deem to be like, I think enough. Right. Cause I do think that like the more you think about a hundred sales is very, very difficult to achieve, especially if you're like running a prototype of something. Yep. And Jonathan, uh, that's all the, the time I have today for Q and a, uh, do you want to close it out? Cause we have, we, we've got, both of us have got a jet for other things, but um, I think it's been a good session so far with what we've been able to cover. And I know we're going to do this again in the future, but um, is there anything else you'd like to kind of cover before we close out? I want to say something. Um, not ah! really. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, comment down below if you guys want to hear uh, part two of the Q&A. Um, so depending on y'all's responses, uh, we may or may not do a part two of this. Um, as always, if you guys want to hear more about podcasts, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify and share with your friends. Remember guys, build Ferrari fast, McDonald's cheap.